please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and hit the bell so that you get notified every time we drop an episode and you don't miss out on anything if you're about to listen please just subscribe you can always you know come back and unsubscribe if you don't like it but please subscribe first thank you do it right now right now hit the button (laughs) let's go Hey guys, welcome to the Dirty Lawyer Podcast, episode 112, I believe. Let me just check my notes. Yeah, 112. Welcome to the Dirty Lawyer Podcast. My name is TMT. And my name is Des. Welcome to the Dirty Lawyer Podcast. On this episode, we will be going into the world of fashion. The world of fashion. The world of fashion. Okay. Specifically, World War II fashion. Okay. And a bit post that. We're focusing on a particular family during World War II. We're focusing on the Dior family. Okay. So are you ready for your dirty lies? Yes, I am. Okay. One. During the war, Christian Dior and a bunch, a bunch of other French fashion houses made clothes for the wives of Nazis and dresses for the wives of Nazi collaborators. Mm-hmm. That's one. Okay. Fact two, his sister Catherine was a known Nazi collaborator. So Christian Dior's sister Catherine. Yeah. Okay. Was a known Nazi collaborator. Okay. Number three, his niece, Francois Dior, married a neo-Nazi, a British neo-Nazi activist, Colin Jordan, in 1963. So, Enjoy. did he make clothes for the wives of Nazis? Was his sister a Nazi collaborator or did his niece marry badly? Yeah, one of them is fundamentally untrue. Um... Why would there be a French lady named Catherine? I'm going to just choose that as the lie. Catherine. That's yeah. her, that's that's his sister's name. I'm not going to change his, her name. <laughs> Why is her name Catherine? Is that like a, I thought that was an English name? Um, no, her name was her name. Her real name is Jeanette, but her I guess she was from a Catholic family, so they just gave her. She had the name Catherine as well. Okay, that okay then. Um, did Dio make clothes for the wives of Nazis? I don't know, like, France was under Nazi occupation for a while. And mm-hmm. I feel like everyone collaborated. Um, I don't know if making clothes is collaboration, because, like, all the fashion houses had to make clothes for Nazis and their wives and collaborators and their wives to just sustain themselves through the war. Yeah, I'll just, I mean, I'll choose the sister one as a lie. I don't know why. Okay, fair enough. It's not, every single one of these can be true. Yeah. Um, maybe you lied about the English one. You gave too much detail there. About the which one? The English guy. <laughs> There's too much detail in that one, but yeah. I just said his name, that's all. Okay. Mm. Okay, so which one do you choose? I choose Catherine. Okay. You are, in fact, correct... Not because of any rhyme or reason, but because she was a prominent member of the French resistance during the war. So I am in fact correct for every rhyme and reason. No, no. 
<laughs> what do you mean? You said Catholic because of the yeah. name. No, and then you explained that they're Catholic, and I said okay, and then I thought about it, and yeah. I still said no. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, but there I was no, there was no, there was no educated guessing. There was no. No, you, you didn't show any working. You just said you know what? Let guess. me tell you my working. Okay, what's your working? One, every fashion house clothed the wives of the generals. Mm-hmm. They took over Paris for a significant amount of time. Right. Every they would have one Dior, they wore Chanel, they used their perfumes. Mm-hmm. So that one is definitely correct. Whether okay. he had a choice or not, he was going to clothe Nazi people. No, I mean you, you could have just chosen to not do it. There are few fashion houses that chose to uh, and then the last one, there were just too much detail there. So mm-hmm. I was just like, yeah, and like neo Nazi it's it's just it's just a thing people do English mm. skinhead like I don't know man that's <laughs> it just sounded real to me no, so. these are like these are 19 process of elimination 1960 neo-Nazis were like the the posh ones the ones who wore suits and they went around the world like the king who just yeah guy. yeah that guy yeah um okay which one do you want to get into first um, let's talk about let's, the actually, let's start uh, let's start with Chris, uh, Christian okay. himself because his family is very interesting um, he was born in Granville a seaside town on the coast of Normandy and was the second of five children born to Maurice Dior his dad was a super rich um, f- um, fertilizer uh, what's the word These, they just came from a family of people that made fertilizer and um, his wife was from was also from a rich family. She was basically his muse for his style. She was really well dressed, and she was a very. She used to wear suits, you know, sometimes with skirts, sometimes with pants, which was very rare for the time. You know, she was popping in the eighteen hundreds. Mm. Um, she was a very. Why were trousers so scandalous for women to wear back in the day? Like they're not my preferred outfit whatever but yeah. why was it so scandalous for women to wear trousers Shadow. especially during the gilded age which was i think their time the time of christian dior's parents um now what's interesting about his family is they were very well to do like not even well to do they were considered wealthy they were up they were, they were part of french um upper class obviously there was no there's no such thing as nobility in france mm. at this point uh, they've killed all those guys but they still have the um, bourgeois and all these guys and his parents were very much prominent they were very prominent figures in those circles um, his family moved to Paris when he was five years old and he would still go back to Normandy for holidays and all of that uh, his family also <clears throat> had pinned all their hopes on Christian as to become a diplomat but this guy was like listen I want to make um, clothes I want to be a fashion boy and I'm very excited about that. Um, eventually, the Great Depression happened. And when the Great Depression happened in America, it killed Christian's father's business because his dad was a big player in the stock markets, both locally and internationally. So he had a bunch of assets tied into all of that. He literally had to move out of Paris after the crash and move the entire family back to the village of Normandy, I guess. <laughs> That's funny because Normandy is like, you know, a city now. Eventually, after the crash, Christian himself stopped making um, art and decided to start making sketches for fashion designers and just a bunch of other people, which I guess is still art, but it was just more commercial. He started sketching for other people 
to make income to support himself. Yeah. He was still um, very set on fashion. And I don't know, for some reason, with everything I've read about this, his family losing their entire fortune seemed to have liberated, liberated him from like expectations and this and that. At this point, it was just to survive. Mm. You know, everyone is done or like right now. But just like his family was literally, they had no money. So he was the one, like when, when his family and his siblings moved back to the village, he was the one using the money he was making from art to support himself and them. So he was constantly sending money back to them. Um, and then World War II happens. During World War II, he's working for Bauman. And that's another thing. A lot of these guys were like um, contemporaries. I'm talking about Bauman. Yeah, either way, all these guys are like contemporaries and they're all... Um, he discovers Christian Pigo and then um, Christian eventually works for him with Bauman. And during the war, these guys are making dresses for Nazis. And eventually... Christian starts off in the army, but he knows he's not going to cut it there, so he leaves. So he leaves. Sorry, so he leaves the army and goes straight into um, fashion, and the, he starts from the house of Lelong, where he and Bauman are like the main designers. For the rest of World War Two, as an employee of Lelong, Christian Dior is making dresses for Nazi officers and the wives of Nazi officers and French collaborators and their wives as well. And um, I guess this is why the stigma has never really stuck with him. The fact that like he never did it under his name. Mm. He did it as an employee for a larger brand. Um, at the same time, we want to cut to Christian's sister, Catherine, who died in 2008 by the way she lived very long um she was born in 1917 and by the war that's what i was gonna say good girls die young back <laughs> so she lived a long life she lived a long life mm. um during the war I mean, okay, so I've just explained Kristen's life and her life is, you know, she's part of all of these things growing up. Rich dad goes broke, um, moves with him to the countryside. Um, and she helped the family by growing beans and peas and she would sell them around when, you know, they were poor. Um, by November 1941, she met one of the founders of the French resistance. Um, this Chabonneries while shopping in Cannes she fell in love with him and he was at this point he was 36 and he was married and he had three kids she didn't care she joined the French resistance in the late 1914 41 <laughs> and soon after um, her brother had returned to Paris set on establishing himself as a fashion designer so basically she had a very prominent role in the French resistance. What she would do is she used Christine Dior's apartment mm -hmm. to host um, underground resistance meetings. Um, she was involved with the Mastiff Central um, section of the F2 network, which was a British-funded resistance cell and intelligence unit set up by the Polish government <laughs> to operate in France. Um... This Chabonneris, who she was madly in love with, was a part of the same network 
and they operated under the leadership of Admiral Jacques Tolly de Preveil, who was basically the main guy in the French resistance. Hmm. So what was her role? Hosting meetings from Christian's apartments, basically moving. And it wasn't just his apartment. They had a, a network of just different houses and flats they would use in Paris to host their underground meetings. And she was in charge of all the logistics, getting all the people, um, the information that they would need to know where the meetings would take place. So mm. basically dropping, she would drop a piece of paper and say, obviously, we memorize this and swallow it. And then she would keep it moving. And she would do that every, I guess, every day. Just like, cause they couldn't meet in the same place because Nazis weren't stupid. Uh. Yeah. On July 1944, Catherine, or Jeanette, if you want to, yeah, but let's call her Catherine. She was arrested with 26 other people from the group and then tortured by the Gestapo. For those who don't know, that's the Nazi secret police. Basically, um, during World War II, when Nazi, um, when the Nazis had taken over Paris, mm. They were like the stars. They would just be in plain clothes, but like looking for people to torture and, you know, get information out of, especially with regards to the French resistance. Um, when she was arrested, Christian tried to use his contacts, especially the ones he had made at his job to help um, with her release. The main one being the Swedish... Um, the main one, the main one being through the Swedish Consul General, Raoul Nording. On the 18th of August, Nording managed to convince the Nazis to place Catherine under the protection of the Swedish state, but she had already been reported on the, on one of the last prison trains leaving Paris and towards the Ravensbrück women's concentration camp. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Trolley de Prevot, that's the admiral and head of the French resistance, was arrested in Marcel around the same time. Um, eventually, she was transferred to um, from Ravensbrück to the military prison of Targo and posted to the all-female um, Anton Commando to work on the production of explosives. So she went in, from yeah. resistance fighter to... Concentration camp survivor to being forced to make weapons for the people she was resisting. Yeah, yeah she was making, um, she was forced to make explosives in an abandoned um, potassium mine. After that, she worked at um, Abbey Road, which was one of the Birkinweight concentration camps, satellite camps just around it. And Eventually, she ended up working at an aviation factory, <coughs> which was eventually captured by the U.S. Army. That was when she was liberated. Um, she was um, Dior was liberated near Dresden during the same month and returned to Paris. When she arrived back in Paris, she was so emaciated that her brother Christine didn't recognize her at first. She was too sick to eat the dinner he had prepared for her um, in return. Yeah. In 1952, how many siblings did they have? What did you say? How many siblings did they have? He had five, including mm. Catherine. Was he like the first born? He was, I think, I think he was the second born. Yeah, he was the second born. Um, we'll get into this later, but their niece, 
Um, yeah, she eventually she test she testified against fourteen people responsible for the Gestapo office in Paris, and she, um, she was awarded with several medals of honor for her acts of resistance. The Croix de Jure, which is a distinction usually reserved for regular armed forces, the Combatant Volunteer Cross of Resistance, the Combatant Cross, the King's Medal for Courage, and the Cause of Freedom. And she was named the Chevalier of the Legion of Honor. Right. Yeah. After the war, she became... Um, she was really obsessed with flowers and growing things. She had always been her entire life. That's probably why she was supporting her family with, with farming when they fell into destitution. So after the war, she became a representative of in-cut flowers, which was, um, I don't even know how to explain it. It was like a brand, but it's also like a non-profit. And um, she worked with... De Chevonnais at the house market in Paris, trading flowers from the south of France and French colonies. She then moved to the um, to the Calilian province and bought a rose farm. And she continued to farm roses till she died. When Christine Dior died, he left all his possessions to Catherine and her right-hand woman, Raymond Zaka. Her right-hand woman or her girlfriend? Oh, they said right-hand woman. She might have been her girlfriend. Nothing has ever been confirmed, really. Um, the fragrance Miss Dior, which was which came out in 1947 during um, Christine Dior's first fashion show, was actually named, might have been named after her. But a lot of people think it was named after his mom because she was obsessed with his mom. But it was probably named after her because she was obsessed with flowers, which makes more sense. Um, during her later life, I think the only main thing of note <laughs> that she did was she published she publicly distanced herself from her niece, Francois Dior. After her niece got married to one of the most famous neo Nazis in the world, Colin Jordan. Um, As in famous in that era or famous in general? In that era. Possibly in general. I don't think there are many great famous neo Nazis. I mean, there are, but you know, he was a generational talent. Um, let's talk about Francois. A nice little segue into her life. Mary Francois Suzanne Dior was born in nineteen in nineteen thirty-two on the seventh of April. Yeah. She was the daughter of Madeleine Leblanc and Raymond Dior, a left wing journalist, and the brother of French couturier Christine Dior and resistance writer Catherine Dior. Her father, Raymond, who had been employed at the family business headquarters in Paris for years, was a communist international sympathizer to the despair of his own father, Maurice Dior, because, you know, his father was an industrialist. Um, Raymond was involved in the satirical gazette La Crapulo and embraced radical ideas advocating for advocating the 200 families conspiracy which is a french conspiracy that believes 200 french industrial and financial families were responsible for all the ills in france 200 yeah so this yeah this is just like robber baron families that ran the industrial space in 
France at the time. Um, Raymond was bisexual. <laughs> I don't know. Raymond was bisexual and a scholar and um, was dating scholar Graham Macklin. I said was dating. Sorry, Raymond was bisexual and scholar Graham Macklin notes that Francois's bi- biological father could have been Valentin de Bala, who was a Hungarian nobleman. The Wait, actual- Raymond is her dad. Yeah, but... But so... So he might not have been her biological father. Yes, he might have been in a throuple with Valentine and his wife. His wife, yeah. I see. Yeah. Um, now let's go back to Francois. Francois, um, we call her Francois Dior. Francois' attraction to Nazi n- Nazism is that Nazism? Mm-hmm. So Nazism emerged during her childhood, during the Nazi occupation of France. According to historian Nicholas Goodry Clark, one of the sweetest memories of Dior was the compliment, What a Beautiful Little Aryan Girl, which was made to her by an SS man in Paris. So she was cute for a white girl. Yeah, and she she was actually she was she was kind of pretty. Uh, I was gonna say striking, but she was pretty. Um she she heard this compliment, and I think she really internalized Nazism around that because people are crazy, whatever. Um, she, she attached her attraction or her attractiveness to Nazi ideals or Nazi standards of beauty. Yeah. And therefore followed the whole... Yeah. Went down that... Oh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was a tiny child during, not tiny, but she was a girl during World War II, most of it. She was born in 1932, so in the thick of it, she still wouldn't have been like 14 or 15. So that would have been around the time of the French occupation, occupation so she would have internalized all of that. Um, she was always like a fervent royalist and believed, you know, in the monarchy in France, which is just in, insane on its own. Um, she became to believe that the ideals of the French Revolution were really a cover for a global conspiracy led by international um, elites, and their aim was to just degenerate France. You know, one of those conspiracies. Mm. Yeah. In 1955, Dior married Count Robert Henry Dacumont Laforce, a Grimaldi descendant of the Prince of Monaco. Sorry, who? What? Say that again. She married this count. Okay. And he was from Grimaldi. Mm-hmm. And he was a descendant of. Well, he was from the Grimaldi family. And he was a descendant of the Prince of Morocco. Grimaldi, is that a crime family or is that like a rich no, family? Grimaldi is the royal family of Morocco. Okay, okay. Till today. Um. Dior came to be disappointed by traditional aristocracy and her marriage turned out to be unhappy. The couple divorced in 1960. Having heard in the press that the Trafalgar Square rally held by British neo-Nazi activist Colin Jordan, she traveled to England in the summer of 1962 and became a frequent visitor of the London headquarters of the National Socialist Movement, which is she in traveled to that she traveled to London to go because hang she out with some Nazis. Yeah, because she heard about this neo-Nazi calling Jordan. She was like, "Yo, head is a fresh guy." Blah blah blah. But also, she's completely like, she's completely like in 
shrined in her neo-Nazi beliefs by this point. So she's rich, born and racist. Yeah. And she's if, looking if, for her people. Yeah, I mean, look, she she left her marriage. They, she got divorced from her count's husband because she thought she would be like an actual noble woman. But like in the olden times, she had this romanticized version of this. But by this time, it was in like 1960s. They had a large house and some stuff, but she it, it wasn't what she expected it to be. Mm. Yeah. She was expecting servants everywhere, people helping her get ready for her day by bathing her and putting her clothes on for her. But it was like 1960s. It was like almost modern times. And it just wasn't what she expected. Anyway, they got divorced. She has about new Nazi Colin Jordan. She travels to England to meet him. And There's a woman who was raised by a socialist. Yeah. Thropo. A bisexual socialist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so she, you know, eventually she starts courting um, Jordan, or I guess he starts courting her, and he introduced her to Savitri Devi, who deserves an episode on her own. She really just, just, she deserves an entire episode of this podcast on her own. Her and Devi become close friends. Let me just quickly go into Devi's life. Devi is a French-born, Greek fascist, Nazi sympathizer, and a spy who served the Axis, the Axis powers by committing espionage against the Allied forces in India. She was a leading member of the neo-Nazi underground during the 1960s. This is, look at this, a picture of her. Can you describe what you see in this picture? Is that a white lady? Yes. In Indian garb? Yes. With the... Uh, what is it called in the middle? The red dot on her forehead. Pinti? Yeah, know I don't know what it's called. Um, why is she dressed like that? Well, because she lived in India. Yes, but also she was um, she was a Hindu. What's the word like when you uh, when you practice Hinduism? She, well, she was a Hindu convert. Hi- yeah, she, con- she converted to. Hinduism. She converted to Hinduism, but also she was she maintained her neo-Nazi. Um, ideals all through that and then through researching her I found out about the massive amount of Indian neo-Nazis during like just between the 50s and like the 70s it's a whole thing Um, and the whole thing is like um, I think even um, even people like the Honorable Elijah Mohammed Mm-hmm. A lot of um, a lot of neo Nazis liked him. A lot of these Indian guys liked him because the one thing they all had in common was disdain for each other's races. So for them, it was about racial purity and separating their races from each other. I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So that's why there were a lot of Indian neo Nazis. Um, going back to Francois. <laughs> Now, she used her fortune and social networks to support the creation of the French chapter of the World Union of National Socialists. And this was basically um, an Anglo-American organization established by um, Colin Jordan and George Lincoln Rockwell at the Cotswold Camp in August 1962. We have to get into George Lincoln Rockwell as well. He was the 
That guy is the Michael Jackson of American neo-Nazis. He's the one. He's the... Like, the way Colin Jordan is the... Please, please do not call someone the Michael Jackson of neo No, no, he's the, he's the Michael Jordan of neo-Nazis. Like, he's the GOAT, you know. Um, that's why I meant with Michael, Michael Jackson as well. He's the GOAT, the greatest ever. Like, and that's the thing. All these, these guys were the greatest neo-Nazis of their time. Of their time. And they were all best friends and they were all from different countries they would re- re- I mean that tallies yeah they would read about each other in the newspaper and literally go to their countries to go and link up and that would be that and then it would just cause chaos um upon her return to France she began to head this um organization she brought she brought um former SS officer Claude Jean into the movement who founded the West European Federation, aka FOE. I'm sure you've heard of them. I definitely <coughs> have not. You're not heard of FOE? Okay. Um, anyway, her success in, rec- in recruiting former high ranking Nazis and members of the social elite turned out to be limited. By the time the police dissolved the FOE in 1964, the group had only 42 members, and most of them were social misfits. After um, Jordan was arrested, Dior had been with someone called John Tyndall. John Tyndall was a close friend of Jordan, and they had been like, you know, he was also a neo-Nazi, where they were like besties. Eventually, she led to a split in their friendship, and her and Jordan got married instead. He proposed to her during a flight to Britain in 1963. And his relationship with Dior soon took priority over his over the neo-Nazi movement. After a civil ceremony in Coventry, 1963, where demonstrators held rotten eggs and apples at the couples as they gave the Nazi salute, <laughs> Dior and Jordan had the second meeting on the 6th of October at the NSM headquarters in London. Again, NSM is National Socialist Movement. Okay. The photographs and newsreel footage of the ceremony illustrating them... <laughs> mingling blood after cutting their ring fingers what do you mean with a dagger blood. A, it's like you know it's like a bloodletting unity drop it's a neo-nazi thing and so basically they cut their hands and they hold hands and they let their blood mingle and they let it fall over a copy of main camp yeah um the guests gave the hitler salutes and host vessel lied which was like, you know, the opening anthem of the of Nazi Germany was played. Dior also stated, all I want is little Nazi children. Talit follows. Mm-hmm. Dior's mother rejected the marriage, saying, we want to have as little to do with this sad affair, and adding that she would not allow Jordan into their home. Following the media coverage of the event, her aunt issued a press release saying, the publicity given by the press and television to Francois, to, Fran, um, to Francois' nonsensical statements, um, needed to be denounced. She said the fame of her brother, Christian Dior, must not be used to highlight the scandal and risk tarnishing the name carried with honor and patriotism by members of the family. Valid. Yeah. Um... Her best friend, Saville Tree Devi, the white woman in the... Imagine if the worst member of your family, like the dumbest uncle, is the one who gets the most 
depressed. That'd be so irritating. But that's typically most families, though. I mean, like... The worst members tend to be the no, most famous ones. No, like... Like, they're just in one corner somewhere. But imagine if you're famous and then because you're famous, your crazy uncle mm. like, from the neck of the woods gets pressed. It's annoying. Yeah, especially if it's, like, pressed for evil. Yeah. yeah. Um, Savitri could not attend the wedding because she was banned from Britain. Savitri is the white woman who wore the Indian... I got Yeah. I recall. <laughs> um, after three months of her wedding, the couple separated. After three... After, after blood oath. Yeah, blood oath. Blood oath has three months Over expiration dates. Everything has an expiration date. Three... Blood oath. Listen, Nazis age like milk and their love ages quicker. I, I'm sorry, you... Oh, my gosh. Um, you should have just sat there and ate your food. <laughs> Yeah. Um, after their separation, which also got crazy press coverage, Dior, um, Dior Jordan, as she was then calling herself, was rapid. She was basically disillusioned by her husband's leadership qualities and publicly dismissed him as a middle class nobody. I just want to say this lady has plenty, plenty problems. Like she. A middle class, nobody. This is okay. Yeah, I mean, this is what happened with her accounts. <laughs> yeah. Um, the funny thing is, the main reason they broke up is because he was really into their marriage and just wanting to be there for her. But because of that, he was neglecting his Nazi responsibilities, and she resented him for that. I hate to say I respect that, but I respect that. Yeah, yeah no, she asked the kids to stay on business, and he did not. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're about your work, be about your work, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, eventually, she ended up marrying another neo-Nazi called, uh, what's his name again? His name was Cooper. He was a boring neo-Nazi, but I think it was just a boringness that she could manage except she didn't they left her 10 years and then you know he broke up with her by the early by the early 80s Dior was financially ruined after a bad investment in a Parisian nightclub and she had to sell her family home in 1982 she joined the mainstream right-wing rally for the republic and married in 1983 Cal Count Hubert de Meulieu. This is her second count, by the way. I was going to say... If we're keeping count of the counts she's married. I was going to say, like... She keep, the only thing that is making me happy is that she lost all her money. Yeah. Um, de Meulieu belonged to one of France's oldest noble houses, but he was not particularly wealth, wealthy. He later joined the far-right front, front National in 1985. When British fascist Marlin, Martin Webster started, started his short-lived group, Our Nation, <laughs> following his expulsion from the National Front, Dior allegedly paid for some of his legal expenses. She died from lung cancer, lung cancer in 1993 in the American Hospital of Neely, Switzerland, at the age of 60. She lived long enough. 60 is decent. She lived long enough for being such a nasty piece of work. Yeah. 
So she was just going around Europe, marrying neo Nazis yeah. and breaking up and <coughs> funding their lifestyles and going broke and then not going broke and then what? Yes, there's another bit that I've kind of I've, I've tried to leave for the very end, just because it's really gross. So, um, bear with me. How gross are we talking about? Really gross. Game of Thrones is gross. Okay. I mean, this is somebody who has already done a blood oath, so... Yeah, this is where it was. In 2013, the autobiographical account of his relationship with Dior, entitled Death by Dior, which was written by Terry Cooper, her partner for 13 years, states that Francois had an incestuous relationship with her daughter, Christine, who committed suicide in 1978. Cooper also claimed in his book that Francois was responsible for Christine's death after becoming displeased with her daughter. Dior apparently brainwashed her into committing suicide. Yeah. So this is the pedophile on top of everything else yes a pedophile child molester um just a really bad person in general that's yeah. disgusting that is disgusting but hey that's just the life of a nazi for you this is worse than game of thrones bad actually yeah there was nothing that's disgusting not really she just looks like an evil white lady do you know what she looks like she looks like if you watch the sound of music she looks like the woman that the captain was supposed to marry before he fell in love with Maria. Mm. She has that vibe, just like a mean-looking woman. Um, but yeah, that's it on the Dior family and their activity during World War II, their relationship with Nazis. And um, I hope you've left a little bit more information than usual. <laughs> I mean, I think that, yeah, kudos to the auntie, the fighting, the resistance, mm. Catherine Buzani, I would say for French lady. Mm-hmm. Um, but wow, the last, this one has really left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, though, it's not, not great stuff at all. It's not great stuff at all. I mean, there's always. There's always just one, mm. just one very nasty outlier. Like you hope, I mean, she sounds like an outlier from what you said about the family. It's not, they said she wouldn't, they wouldn't let the guy inside the house. I'm guessing she was an outlier. Yeah. But it was also just not fashionable to be a Nazi anymore by the time she was. Definitely. <laughs> it was all the rage before. <laughs> well, I think it's also like a counter-counter-culture thing. Like a lot of people just try to not be what their parents were, almost violently fighting against it. You know, I, she had internalized this sort of Nazi beauty standard, and then at the same time, her dad is a bisexual communist, and therefore one of the most famous families in France. So she feels like her area and her good area looks are being wasted on equality for all. Grow up. Yeah. Well, is that our episode? Yeah, I think so. That is our episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening (laughs) to the Dirty Light Podcast.
I hope you guys are having a good week, a good time. And yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Bye, guys. Bye. The dogs say bye too. <laughs> One thing about my dogs, they like chat. They're quite a ch- chatty. Do you know what my mom did today? What? She said she wanted to beat Luna for pulling on her new chair. I was like, you don't do that. And at it's the same time... Child abuse. Is Luna a child? N- no, but it's... it's. I was like, you can't do that. Like, it was really giving PTSD <laughs> for me, personally. It's like this Yoruba woman. And I was... <laughs> and she said, bring, bring her here. And then the security guard is carrying Luna. I'm like, if you don't drop my dog, what is going on? Oh my god! And then afterwards, she comes to show me pug figurines she just bought. I was like, "There's this is this is this, you're treating her like your children. You can't beat us. You can't beat her." You show her to love later. Anyways, <clears throat> um, enjoy your December, y'all. Bye. Bye. <laughs>